And that's the end of this paragraph. It's important to recognize that without fidelity, covenant relationships do not work. I want to repeat that. Without fidelity, covenant relationships do not work. I heard this truth repeated this week on a non, in a non-biblical context. It was in a podcast, and in the middle of the podcast, it was actually a kind of a politically oriented podcast, the podcaster said this, the Constitution is a good document, but it requires good people to follow it. It's a meaningless piece of parchment unless there is fidelity to it. Now, why might that be? You might not realize it, but our national constitution is a document of covenant relations between the people and those we permit to govern us. It is a, an agreement, and if either party does not actively guard the national covenant with faithfulness, if they're not doing that, they're not carrying out the responsibilities, then it is, it becomes a meaningless piece of paper. It becomes potentially even the splintering of our own union. And that's really remarkable to consider because in our Western world, we have lost our sense of covenant responsibility. Rather, we have become consumers. We have become relational consumers. And that might actually be kind of reasonable because consumer relations are less hurtful if there happens to be a splintering of contract. It's almost written in in advance, like satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. That is kind of the element of a consumer relationship. But marriage is not one of those covenant relationships that can be turned or re-engineered into a consumer relation. It's covenantal. It's, it's requiring us to serve for the benefit of the other and not only look for what we can receive out of this relationship. When we, try, when we break up a covenant relationship, there are scars, just like in a national covenant, like a constitution, there are scars that we experienced during the Civil War era that only now, after 100 years, are 150 years, are becoming repaired. And so that may also be under question as well. Thankfully, by grace, there can be recovery from those who have gone through divorce. They've been painfully hurt because of the covenantal vows that have been broken. There is, thankfully, recovery through grace, and God is very merciful to forgive us when we are not covenant keepers as we ought to be, and God also is merciful to those who have been hurt through the conflict of divorce. 
But the most important character traits that are needed to fulfill our responsibility in covenant relationships are integrity, which we looked at last Sunday. And this Sunday, we're looking at the complement to that, which is fidelity of faithfulness. Last Sunday, as I said, integrity was identified as a necessity in order to flourish in covenant relationship with God. Now, fidelity of faithfulness is also recognized as complementary and important. And so, the big idea in this text is this, that to flourish in covenant, we must guard our relationships with faithfulness. In this paragraph that we read, the nation of Israel was rebuked for its lax view of the marriage covenant. The covenant was being downgraded to a consumer relationship. It was, try, it was like being re-engineered. First, they were entering into spiritually mixed marriages. And then second, they were turning to no-fault divorce as the way of ordering their marriages and divorces. And so, out of this, I want us to see principles that can help us to understand how critical it is for us as believers to bring faithfulness into the covenant vows that we make with one another, that we have the integrity to carry out what we have promised to others, no matter how we feel, no matter how we, we see people not living out what they ought to. And so let's look, first of all, how Christians are obligated to marry Christians. In verse 10 to 12, we see um, this pointed out. As I said, this book is a dispute style. It's like he said, she said kind of dialogue going on. In the very beginning chapter, if you weren't with us for the earlier stages of this series, we saw the Lord saying, I have loved you. And then Israel says, well, how have you loved us? And then the dispute turns to the priesthood. And here now in verse 10, the dispute kind of fans out more generally to Judah or Israel. And I know that there are some who may not be really acquainted fully with these names, and so it's good for us just to kind of, kind of pause and reflect on who's, being, who's talking here. In regard to Judah, who is that? And who is Israel? Well, Israel is the national name given to Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, when he returned to Palestine after being exiled away for about 27 years, he returned and he, had, he wrestled with God and he gave up his life to God, saying, I will be who I ought to be. Now, would you please bless me? And he was given a national name, the name of Israel, which means prince with God. He had 12 children who, out of those 12 children, large family groups were, were offsprung. And one of the children's name, the head of the child who had received the primary blessing was Judah, 
Judah is the tribal name that we find David, the king, grew up in. Eventually, the Lord Jesus Christ himself would be a descendant of Judah. But they all come from Abraham, they come from Jacob and all of his sons. And so that's just the context here, and it's important for us to see that and understand who he's talking to. But in verse 10, I want us to see, first of all, the, the dispute. They, they said, well, you know, it's not, not really wrong for us to marry these others. I mean, have we not all one father? Has not God created all of us anyway? What does it matter if we marry these, these girls that come from outside of Israel? And I see in this a very important point for us as Christians today to realize is that while it is true that God has created all of us, only Christians have a heavenly father. And the dispute here in this context is about marrying daughters outside of the national covenants. These exiles have returned to Palestine and they find there's other people there and they're doing well and it would be almost strategic to, you know, I want to advance my own position. If I could marry my son out to the daughter of this chieftain, I might actually gain something from this strategic marriage. And as they returned, some parents were looking to expand their network and allow their sons to marry daughters of, that had been raised underneath of a foreign deity. And they had this excuse, you know, we're all, we're, we're, you know, we're all coming from God anyway. But the reality is, is that not all roads lead to a heavenly father. I don't know if you're acquainted with the romantic idea of the universal fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Maybe you've heard of this term before, but this was an idea that was espoused by 19th century Protestant liberals. They, they, they saw an opportunity to just kind of engage socially in America and we're all kind of underneath of the same heavenly father and we're all connected to one another in humanity. It was a very optimistic view of humanity. But that's actually a false view. Because world religions do not identify God as a father. Rather, they will identify him as merely a creator. The one who's in charge. And that's a very, very important distinction. Because it means that God needs creation to be who he is. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian, observed after World War II that Hitler used to speak about God as the Almighty. And this is what he said in this observation. He said, but it is not the Almighty who is God. We cannot understand from the standpoint of a supreme concept of power who God is. And the man who calls the Almighty God misses God in the most terrible way. For the Almighty is bad as power in itself is bad. The Almighty means chaos, it means evil, it means the devil. Now, 
Bart was not saying that God is without power. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying, but if that's all you think about God as being is just this, this power, you can see how someone like Hitler idolized the power and lived out of that viewpoint in the world. And the devastation and atrocity that you could see within Europe is rooted in a false view of who God is. Christians believe in a triune God in which the Father throughout all eternity loves the Son. And out of their mutual love for one another spirates the Holy Spirit. God is encased in a world of love, if you will. And it is out of that love that he creates. And that's fundamentally important for us to recognize that not all who say God or claim God, a belief in God, is speaking about the same God. God reveals himself throughout Scripture first and foremost as a father. And if a religion's theology does not articulate a Trinitarian view of God, it is then a false religion. And access to the Father only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Now, the dispute here is about marrying daughters outside of the national covenant. Today, we are not members of a national covenant in that sense. We're members of a new covenant in Christ. And this new covenant is without national boundary because as the apostles shared with us, Paul said in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We come to the Father through the Son. And only Christians have a Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Very important foundational point here. And I wanted to, I want to bring out in verses 11 and 12 how that marriage to non-believers introduces infidelity to God. Verse 11 and 12, we see this case. Judah God says, has been faithless, and, abom and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, the prohibition here was marrying a daughter of a foreign deity, a foreign god. Now, the prohibition was directed to those daughters who had a vision to raise their children in the traditions that she grew up with. A prohibition here is to avoid the complications that comes through expectation that when you marry that you will do the same things that you grew up doing. 
And the introduction of a foreign god would come through a marriage to a young lady who loved the traditions that she grew up with. It's really important because, as I had just said, Christians are the only ones who have a heavenly father through the son. And a desire to please your spouse will cause tension in the responsibilities that you have to your heavenly father. And so in verse 11, there's this really interesting turn of phrase that, it, that, that this kind of behavior profanes the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. In verse 11, it says, really unique, very interesting turn of phrase, because God is communicating that the home is a sacred place where joy and happiness is to be framed in relationship with our Heavenly Father. He gives us all things to enjoy, especially our own families. And God loves to see a family in harmony, worshiping Him in prayer, in reading the Word together. It's a place that God enjoys showing up in. We don't, we, we, sometimes we imagine that for better or for worse, that, that when we come to church, we meet with God. We also meet with God in our homes. It is a place that God delights to show up in. And regular participation in the life of the congregation could potentially be in competition with someone who doesn't share the same view of your Heavenly Father. There will be competition for your weekend. There'll be a desire to be a weekend warrior, to use all of your weekends for vacationing or sleeping in. And when competing visions of what the good life will entail occur, there is going to be infidelity. There's going to be like, like a, a lack of competition to fulfill your covenant obligations to the Lord. Young men and women can convert, and I want to make sure that I state this clearly, they can become a son or daughter of the living God. They don't have to stay connected to their old way of life. And I think of Ruth, I think of Rahab, young women who had been raised underneath of a foreign God, but yet when they, they embraced the true and living God, they left everything else behind and they joined the true and living God. And those women are in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. But parents, I would like to encourage you to guard your sons and daughters. I know I, there's mixed ages of parenting in this room. Some are just looking ahead to the junior high age. And that's where romantic interest starts to develop, as you all well know. I would encourage you to avoid missionary dating. That's the idea that maybe your daughter or son could be a potential gospel influence upon an unbeliever. I would say that you're very potentially flirting with danger. Infatuation is a very powerful drug that can cause your children not to think as they ought to think. And the potential for future grandchildren could also be at stake. Grandchildren that love the Lord. I would encourage you to shepherd your children 
in another direction. I also think that I need to make a statement here, and I, I'm going to kind of move out of this text for a minute because one text of Scripture can't say everything that the, the Scriptures say on a topic. And I think it's important for us to also see what, 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 what is there available to those who have married a non-believer? Is that possibly something that can be redeemed? There are people who come to Christ and they have a spouse that is not ready to believe as they have believed. What, what hope do they have? And I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a minute. And if you're using a Red Pew Bible, that's on page 1096. 1096, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And the reason I'm taking you there is that I'm not going to dwell long on it, but you may want to take some time to read for yourself what the Scripture says and meditate upon it. In verse 12, Paul's talking about marriage, and in verse 12 uh, through 16, he says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she contends to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he contends to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? That little phrase of them being holy is particularly interesting because through a marriage to an unbeliever, this means that they are brought into close contact with the true and living God. They are not saved automatically. They have to make a personal decision for Christ themselves. But you put, your, you put them into close proximity to the Holy of Holies, if you will. And Paul explains in this situation that you are not without hope, that there is the potential that your influence upon them will bring them to believe in the gospel. So, throughout the full counsel of God's word, there is a warning against entering into these kinds of marriages. But if you find yourself in one of these kinds of marriages, you are not without hope. There is opportunity, potential for them to turn and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the idea here in the book of Malachi is that to flourish in covenant, we must guard our own relationships with faithfulness. And so let's turn back now to the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi, page number um, 906 in the Red Pew Bible. Malachi chapter 2. And I want us to see the second area that the scriptures give for needed faithfulness. Christians are not only obligated to marry other Christians, Christians are obligated to be faithful to their marriage covenant that they have found themselves in. Verses 13 to 16 highlight this truth. And I want us to first recognize that there is a distinction here that is being communicated. This would be what we would in our day call 
no-fault divorce. This would be leaving a spouse for no reason other than you are now, you're not compatible anymore. A no-fault divorce actually in this text is said to bring destruction upon your soul. People in this text had gradually kind of came to this conclusion that they were making all these sacrifices and it just didn't seem to be producing anything. Uh, in verse, verse 13, um, it says that they covered the altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because it seemed like they were doing all of this and it just, they weren't flourishing. There just wasn't anything, they weren't being prosperous, prosperous in the land that they had returned to. There's another prophet who speaks to this similar idea, and we had studied through this uh, maybe a year ago, the book of Haggai. And that prophet said this, you have sown much, and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you've never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Sounds like inflation, doesn't it? You do all this work, and, and, and it's like, I got this, I'm making $15 an hour now. But then you start to do the math, and it's really actually wage reflected. You're actually probably only making 10. Your buying power is only get $10 an hour. Material prosperity is not always an indicator of blessing. Because there are blessings that come out of the wholeness of one's heart. There are spiritual blessings. Yes, there are material blessings that occur as well. And God was not allowing them to prosper in their return because they were not prioritizing the covenant obligations that they had. They were pursuing no-fault divorces. Here we have it very clearly. They, they, they weren't productive in their worship. They weren't productive in seeing God bring blessings. And God reveals to them, it's because you're not giving your all to your marriage. In particular, their hearts were straying from the wife of their youth. Verse 14. That phrase, wife of their youth, indicates that these are probably now middle-aged folks who had made covenant obligations to their younger spouses, but now they were not honoring the commitment that they had made. There's no indication of, you know, immorality in the spouse and the reason for why they're being put away. Rather, I believe that this is text is talking about letting your soul love another as time and outward appearance takes its course. Verse 16 is a little bit different translation choice in the translation I read, but I want you to see in verse 16, it says, for the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, I think the King James says um, that God hates divorce, I think it says, or the King James translates it, 
the pronoun there is a little bit ambiguous, so it, it, it's either referring to God himself as hating divorce or the husband who is hating his spouse. And so either translation is within the realm of consistency, but the idea about creating violence in the skirt or in the garments leads me to believe that God here is referring to the, the violence that it creates within your own soul as you put away your wife. It hurts you as you are divorcing your spouse that you made vows to years ago. And I bring to this the awareness of a broader context of the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Ruth came up to Boaz and asked him to spread his garments out over her as a way of saying, I want you to be married to me and fulfill your responsibility to me. So instead of a garment of blessing, this is a garment of violence, it's talking about it's going to shatter your soul. And time, and I think it's important, that time in marriage ages people. Even after a decade of marriage, you are not the same person who was standing at the altar 10 years previously. You will be changed. I had the joy of talking to a young couple this morning. Pretty soon they'll be celebrating their fifth anniversary. Over time, you are changed and your spouse is changed. And fidelity through the years of highs and lows, sickness and health, makes the bond more and more sticky. And if you tear apart that bond, it's going to do violence to your soul. And the answer for this is to renew your vows daily in your spirit in the highs and lows of your marriage. Those who pursue a no-fault divorce, refusing to work through processes of reconciliation, have to know that the end of the path that they're pursuing it's not going to bring the desired pleasure that you think it will bring. Sin is sweet for a season, but then it brings death to the soul. Proverbs says that the way of the transgressor is hard. And divorce deeply hurts the soul. Now, I'm thankful that we have a good and loving Heavenly Father he protects the weak. There are people who don't want to be divorced. But they have a spouse that wants to divorce them. And it's just as painful for them as it is for the spouse who wants to be divorced. Now there is such a thing as at-fault divorce that is sanctioned by God as a way of escape for the vulnerable. And while divorce may bring safety, it always brings pain. And so it's really important to understand the perspective of Scripture that it is there as a warning to us that the way that we think we will most 
likely flourish if it's outside of God's word, it's not going to bring us the comfort that we think it will bring. Guarding our marriage is what brings health to our families. This is the path. This is the way. In verse 15 and 16, we see this as well. I want you to reread those verses. Verse 15, it says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. But the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now how do I see the principle about health for your family? I see it in verse 15 where God is stated to be like a witness to your marriage. And it's important for us to realize that God is a witness at all marriages as he was when he brought Adam and Eve into existence. And introducing Eve to Adam for the very first time, he, he breathed life into their union. Verse 15, you can see that this union was sealed with a portion of the Spirit. Now, some might recognize, if you have an ESV Bible, you may see the letter S capitalized, which is an indication that the translator believed that this was a reference to the Holy Spirit, not just the spirit of a person like their soul. And it could very well mean this, and if it is what it means, then it is in the sense of the Nicene Creed, in which you maybe have heard stated before, in which Someone would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, is witness to your covenant vows. He blows life into the seed that will germinate in the womb. And what was that one God seeking? The answer is godly offspring. And I see in this the beauty of the flourishing of the home. It's God's intention that Christians are, are obligated by covenant in their faith to raise up godly offspring. God is sovereign to ultimately open or close a womb but we see in this that it's normal to have children. And there is a prevailing atmosphere and attitude in the world today that children are a burden and a liability. The youngest generations entering adulthood right now don't want to have children. But we were designed to flourish as we marry and to raise up children to love and honor God for themselves. What we're seeing is the, the fruit of the last century of secular humanism unleashed. America has espoused 
human secularism as their Bible, as their authority, which preaches a commercialization of sex and marriage. And when sex and marriage have become a consumer product, the dignity of man, woman, and child becomes butchered like meat, something to buy and sell. And so what do Christians do in this world? What do we do? Well, several times in this text, we have read the anecdote for what ails our American culture. We have to relearn what the Holy Spirit has indicated here as the need to be faithful to our covenant obligations. Guard yourselves in your spirit means that we practice contentment in our own marriage. Don't allow your eyes to wander to places that it ought not go. The precursor for a no-fault divorce is to commit adultery with another woman in your own heart. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 27 to 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so what the scripture here is telling us that guarding ourselves in our spirit means self-awareness. Remember that you are in covenant with the wife of your youth. You, she may not be as young as she used to be, or he might not be as young as he used to be. Maybe less dashing, who knows? But you've got a ring on your finger. This ring is an indication that you have made a covenant bond. And so act as married. Guard your spirit. And I can't, the day in which we live, it, everything is so pervasively in your face. It's in, our, it's in our hands. It's in our phones. Some may know the name Matt Chandler. I, I don't know if it would be a name you'd recognize, but he... I know him because I'm a pastor and I, I hear names of people being put out there as like the pastor to follow and do what they do. He's a well-known pastor in Flower Mound, Texas, and this week he announced he'd be taking a leave of absence. And this after a woman confronted him in the, his church lobby. What was it that he was doing? Well, he was engaged in inappropriate online relationship with another woman who happened to be her friend. And the elders of his church believed that, quote, the frequent and familiar direct messages exchanged over Instagram were unguarded and unwise. There may not have been anything sexually explicit in those exchanges, but he wasn't guarding his spirit. And the lady who confronted Chandler did him a great service it was a merciful hand of God to catch his attention. I pray that nothing more happens. But the digital world can lead you to believe that you are anonymous. You are not anonymous. 
as we all well know, the government knows us, right? Every link you click, every photo you share, every song you hear builds a marketing portfolio where more and more of the same is put before your nose. To big tech, you are not a covenant being. To big tech, you are a consumer. And so beware of what you consume. Guard yourselves in your spirit. God does not look lightly upon the violations of our covenant vows. He wants us to flourish, though. He's not there to, to he, doesn't, he wants us to succeed. And to flourish in covenant means that we must guard our relationships with faithfulness. We as Christians are obligated to marry Christians, and Christians are obligated to be faithful to their marriage covenants. And this is the way it was intended at the very beginning. We were made in the image of God as covenant creatures who give of themselves to others as a way of life. We are not good covenant keepers, and thankfully, Christ keeps the covenant for us so that we are not thrown and cast into hell. It is by faith that we enter into covenant with him. And he gives us of his grace freely and abundantly. Thankfully, it is by the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, that we cultivate integrity and fidelity. We can thank him for these rich gifts that come to us through the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And as we celebrate communion together this morning, I pray that our hearts would be moved to honor covenant as we have been directed to.